Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. So I want to turn your attention to Ezekiel. Uh, It's funny that Pastor was talking about Ezekiel, but Ezekiel um, chapter 37, verses 1 and 2, and that's where I'm going to start at. Ezekiel 37, verses 1 and 2, and I'm going to go ahead and get started here. Yes, chapter 37, verses 1 and 2 says, the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. Verse two, and caused me to pass by them round about and behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. So today, um, with the unction of the Lord, I want to talk to you about being in the valley of dry bones being in the valley of dry bones. So um, when we get to this portion of scripture, there's a lot that happened before Ezekiel 37. So I want to just start by giving a little background of where Israel is at at this moment in time. So Ezekiel, uh, believe it or not, is one of the best, um, or has the best timeline one of the best timelines in the Bible because Ezekiel was really diligent about recording the times that things happen and when God spoke to him. So uh, the book of Ezekiel is extremely accurate in comparison to the other books of the Bible when it's talking about history. So in 597 BC, there was a king in Israel. Um, I'm probably going to mess up his name. It was Jehoiachin. Is that how you say it? Jehoiachin, that's right. Um, So he was taken into captivity by Babylon. So right now the children of Israel are under the captivity of the king of Babylon, of of King Nebuchadnezzar. So even they disregarded the warnings of Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah was preaching beware of sin, turn away from sin, because if you don't, things are going to happen. And they disregarded what Jeremiah had said. So the children of Israel ended up being conquered and taken into captivity. And then eventually in 587 BC, that kind of threw me off because I forgot that BC ran backwards. So 597 happened before 587. Um, But Jerusalem and the temple of Solomon was destroyed. Can you imagine the prized jewel of the nation being completely destroyed by the enemy. That's where Israel was at. They were dead. They were lifeless. They were without hope. They were scattered so thin at this point that it looked like when God promised them that they would prosper and be a strong nation, at this point, it looked like that was not going to happen. They were spread so thin their, their numbers were so decimated by what had taken place in Babylon. The children of Israel were in a really, really bad situation right now. Even after the warnings of Jeremiah and early prophecies of Ezekiel, Israel kept in their sinful ways and they were kept under the thumb of Nebuchadnezzar. So 
that being said, I want to tell you a little bit about Ezekiel too. So Ezekiel um, was, he was a priest. And by the way that he opens up the book of Ezekiel, uh, most scholars would agree that he was about 25 when the children of Israel were taken into captivity. So he was a young man. And then at age 30, he began to move into his prophetic ministry and God began to send him visions and, and, and he began to preach to the children of Israel. And if you, if you know this, um, in the priesthood, age 30 was when you could become when you could begin to minister. So he wasn't quite at that age when he was taken into captivity, but God had brought him up. I, I believe God can use anybody where they're at. And I know each and every one of you believe that. But um, Ezekiel was, his name, his very name means God will strengthen. So Ezekiel was preaching to the children of Israel, turn from your wicked ways, serve God, forsake the idols. They're, they're not the real God. We have to turn back to the one who rules us. We have to turn back to our king and not serve these gods. But then some things began to change in the spirit and God began dealing with Ezekiel in different ways other than repentance messages. Uh, God started dealing with Ezekiel on hope messages. And that's where we find ourselves in Ezekiel 37. Uh, God takes Ezekiel down to an obscure valley filled with bones. And there's a part where it talks about how uh, God caused Ezekiel to pass by all of the bones. But I wanna point something out to you. That word to pass by does not mean that he was walking outside of the valley. What it means is that God had literally caused him to be ankle deep in the bones that were in the valley. He had to walk through them, not just around them. So he was here, bones everywhere, ankle deep in dead hopes and what seemed to be dead promises. I just, that visual is so powerful to me. Can you imagine being in your life, standing in the middle of this valley of your life, and all you see when you look around is dead bones, dead hopes, things that seem to be hopeless and lifeless and promises that you heard from God about, but they don't seem like there's gonna be any life. They don't seem like there's gonna be any fruit to those promises and you're there, the only thing living in the valley. So God starts to deal with Ezekiel. Sometimes when we get to really hard points in our life and things look hopeless, God will speak to us and tell us to do something that doesn't necessarily make sense in our fleshly mind or make sense to us physically. So, before I get there, I just wanted to point this out too. This is another little history lesson. In case you didn't know, um, I, I originally went to college to be a history teacher. So life took a turn and I ended up in finance. Um, so a lot of times I love to get into the history. So I'm just gonna tell you a little bit more. So in antiquity, when armies went to war, the defeated army would lay dead in the valley or wherever they were defeated at and the victors would take the valuable things from the defeated and leave the bodies unburied and they just 
lay there. So literally in Ezekiel's life, the children of Israel could walk out to valleys in remote areas where battles were fought and still see skeletons from years and years before. And they would still be there, dead, lifeless, laying in the valley. So then God starts to speak to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was a priest. It's important to understand because when God made him to pass through the bones, dead bodies and corpses were considered accursed. So he was a priest and God caused him to walk through dead bones which was not common. Priests did not do that. So he's standing there and God asks him in verse three, Ezekiel 37 and three, and he said unto me, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel turned to God and said, and I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Ezekiel had a little bit of a grasp of what God was about to do. He said, God, you know if these bones can live. The way they look to me, they're dead. They're dry. In Ezekiel 37 and 2, it points out that the bones were very dry. They weren't just recently dead, but they had been dead and sun-bleached for a long time. There was nothing going to bring those bones back. But Ezekiel said, God you know if they're going to live. And so in verse four, and again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Whenever God speaks, things happen. When God speaks to something, things have to change. But... If somebody walked up to you and there was some roadkill on the side of the road and they said, hey, can that live again? No, it's dead. But when God gets involved, there's no telling what can happen. So God tells Ezekiel to do something a little crazy. He says, prophesy to these bones, but the bones are dead. They don't have any ears. They can't hear what I say. I, I'm preaching to Israel. Why would I preach to something dead? So God tells him to prophesy. Uh, in verse five, it says, thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and ye shall live. In verse six, and I will lay sinews upon you and you will bring up flesh upon you and cover you uh, with skin and put breath in you and ye shall live and ye shall know that I am Lord. Verse seven, what does Ezekiel do? He doesn't say, can't do that. They're not going to live. No. What does he do? He prophesies to the bones. So uh, in verse seven, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold, a shaking and the bones came together bone to his bone. In verse eight, and when I beheld low sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. So I want to pause for a second before we get to the climax. And I want to tell you that Israel felt absolutely 100% defeated by the enemy. 
They felt completely and utterly hopeless because their enemy, the Babylonians, came in, took them captive, and, and the Babylonians started doing this thing where they would take Israel's culture, they would take their identity. Uh, it happened to Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's not even their real names. Those were Babylonian names that Nebuchadnezzar gave them to try and steal their identity of who they were. So Israel felt completely destroyed. If you want to kill a culture, all you do is take away their cultural identity. And that's what Babylon was doing to the children of Israel. So they felt hopeless. They felt defeated. They felt dead. They felt like dry bones sitting in a valley. And there was no hope for them. But humans, we have a tendency to get into some situations that seem really impossible. There's, we, we put ourselves in emotional prisons. We have unsaved loved ones that look like there's no hope for that. We have financial issues. We have addictions. And we feel like we're just dry bones sitting in a valley waiting to decay until there's nothing left of us. I don't know if anybody's been there before, but I have. I know I have some unsaved loved ones that I want to go to heaven with me. I know that I have some friends that aren't living right that walked away from the truth and it might seem hopeless, but I want to encourage you, continue to invest, continue to minister to that person. Uh, Pastor hit on it already. When we were at district conference, Tasha and I and Nate went up uh, Thursday night, Thursday night, okay. We went up Thursday night and Brother Stan Gleason, phenomenal preacher. I've heard him many, many times when I was growing up in Memphis. He'd always come through and preach. And he was talking about discipleship. And he mentioned how uh, we don't need to be soul winners. We need to be disciple makers. Because soul winners can win one soul 365 days of the year and then every single one of them walk off because they were never discipled. But if a disciple maker can invest in somebody in one person for 365 days of the year, that's how you get people to stay. That's how you close the back door in church. And I want to encourage you that if you're investing in someone, if you're trying to be a disciple maker and that person's situation, their life looks like a bunch of dead, dry bones, I want to encourage you. The Lord is saying, prophesy unto the bones. Tell them they're going to live because I'm going to cause breath to come back into those bones. And that person will stand strong in the name of the Lord. On top of all of the things that we go through in life, we have an enemy as well that comes in the dark moments, that comes when no one's around, that whispers those lies and those hurtful, hurtful things into our ears. We have an enemy that when we do mess up, he'll say, yeah, you're just a bunch of dead bones. Give up. You're just going to decay. You're just, no one cares about you anymore. You messed up too much for God to love you now. You've gone too far to have forgiveness. The Bible says in 1 Peter uh, 5 and 8, it describes the enemy as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Can I tell you that the devil is not anybody's friend? And he'll tell you when you mess up, when life looks horrible, that there's no hope. There's nothing left in this life for you. But I want to tell somebody, 
that if you hear that, that's a lie. I want to tell somebody, never listen to voices that tear you down. Never listen to voices that tell you you're not good enough because you are. You're valued treasure. You're, God places so much value on each and every one of us that he would never say something contrary to, I love you, I forgive you, I have mercy for you. So, I want to continue because there's something interesting that happens in Ezekiel 37, 9, and 10. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind, because remember, the, the bones, the skin came back over the bones and the bones joined back together, but there was no breath in the bones yet. Then he said unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. Verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceeding great army. That last song we sang sounds really similar to this. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. The bridge even says, my heart will cry, these bones will sing. These bones are going to live again. God is saying, prophesy to the bones. Do it before you see what's going to happen. And if you obey me, if you prophesy unto these bones and you keep me first and you follow me in, in everything that I do, I will fulfill my promises. I will give you hope. I will restore you to where you were. Not just where you were, but better than where we started off at. So, in Ezekiel we see the bones come together and they lived again. And I just want to tell you at this point, death has never stopped God before. Why would it stop him now? He's resurrected the dead all through the Bible. We see stories like this happening and Ezekiel, the, the vision that he saw translated directly into the spiritual realm. This is what Israel was dealing with. They were dealing with a broken identity. They were dealing with hopelessness. They were dealing with feeling like they were, like, like the promise of God was dead and there was nothing going to bring it back. But death has never stopped God before restoration of lost hopes and dreams happen in the presence of God. They happen when he begins to speak to our situations. You know, there's, like I said, we go through things that seem like there's no hope. I have, I don't know about you, but I have family members that I've been praying for for, you know, 10 years, whatever. And it doesn't look like physically, you know, with our physical eyes, the situation may look completely hopeless. Why would you 
keep on praying for somebody who's not gonna come to God? Why would you, you know, keep on lifting them up before the presence of God if nothing's ever gonna happen? But God made me a promise. And the promises of God always come through. When God speaks something, it can't just fall off and nothing happen. Because the, the exact nature of the word of God is that when it's spoken, it has to accomplish what it says. That's the nature of the word, the spoken word of God. So I want to tell you that, actually, I want to ask you, has God ever promised you anything? Yes. God's promised us all kinds of things. And sometimes we go through life and it could be a year, it could be two years, it could be 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and nothing's happened yet. And we get into that, God, I thought you were going to do all this. You know, I'm standing here in the valley and all I can see is dry bones all around me. Look, God, there's, there's that promise you gave me how many years ago? It looks dead. It looks dry. It looks hopeless. Is that ever going to live again? Look, there's the other one. There's my, there's my, my dad, my mom. There's my brother, my sister, my cousin, my aunt, my, my uncle. Everything looks so dead and so hopeless. God, will this ever live again? Will it ever live again? But I want I want to read um, I want to read from Lamentations. Lamentations verse three, or I'm sorry, Lamentations chapter three, verses twenty-two through twenty-six. Says it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. Verse twenty-three. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. When I read that, Honestly, when I was alone, I was in the uh, guest bedroom of the duplex that we rent, and I was reading the scripture. And Tasha, I don't think I shared this with you, but um, I began to cry. I started to cry all over that scripture. I was standing here, tears on my Bible, because I understand that when things look dead, great is thy faithfulness. When the promises look like they're not going to come to pass, great is thy faithfulness. When our loved ones look like they're never coming back to church or never going to uh, ex experience new birth and new life and go to heaven with us, great is thy faithfulness. I hope in him, as Lamentation says, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait. Because God's timetable is different than ours, right? 
the Bible says that a day is to a thousand years and, you know, vice versa or however it says it. That's not a formula of how God operates. That's not a formula of eternity. What they're simply saying is that God's timing is different than ours. And since he's eternal, there's no real way to, con- to, to get the concept of eternity for us. So when God promises us something, we're like, my dad's going to be saved. And then tomorrow when it don't happen, we're like, Where'd you go? I thought you promised me this. But God's timing is always perfect. Always perfect. Um, I think it was Brother Gleason that was talking about a guy in their church that uh, prayed for the guy in the nursing home. Do you remember that, Rob? And y'all remember that? So they, he was doing, this guy was doing this nursing home ministry and had been working with this guy for a while. And he was like, I can't remember his age, but he was up there, 90s, whatever. Um, so one night they went there, he prayed for him and they wanted to get him baptized. So they got the guy in this jacuzzi tub and baptized him. And right when he laid his hands on him, he started speaking in tongues and then died. Right. And brother Gleason was like, man, talk about coming under the wire right there. Um, but God's timing is perfect. There's, you know, when God makes us a promise, We have to hope and quietly wait for the promise to come through because we don't know when it's going to happen. But I'm going to tell you that if God made you a promise, it's going to happen. No matter what it looks like, no matter if when God promised you something, the situation got worse. No matter what it looks like, those dry bones are going to live again. So I want, uh, I, I have another story from the Bible that I want to bring out. So I want to talk about um, Jairus. Does anybody know who Jairus is in Mark? So the story takes place right before and right, I don't know if I pronounce his name right, but that's the way I see it, so that's the way. (laughs) So it happens right before and right after the woman with the issue of blood. So it's Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 23 is where I want to start at says, and when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, or however you say his name, by name. Uh, and when he saw him, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. Talk about a situation that looks hopeless. Now, Jairus understood who Jesus was. He understood what the ministry that Jesus had in healings and in miracles because he's probably, he's either witnessed it or he's heard about it and he had faith. So he comes to Jesus and he lays on the ground at the feet of Jesus and says, please, please come and heal my daughter. Just lay your hands on her and heal her that she shall live. So he was dealing with a situation that looked pretty bleak to start off with, right? Um, And then as this is happening, Jesus is, 
going, you know, going to head out to go heal this guy's daughter. And then the woman with the issue of blood comes and touches the hem of Jesus's garment and is healed. And they have that whole dialogue, you know, who touched me, all that thing. And then right after that happened, one of Jairus's daughter, or not daughters, but uh, one of Jairus's servants came to him and said, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your, your daughter's dead. Just leave him alone. She's already gone. You don't, the, the exact words, or not the exact words, but the words that she uses, uh, or he, or whoever the servant was, is uh, don't bother the master anymore. Your daughter's dead. Now, that situation went from bleak to literally dead in a matter of moments. What do we do when this happens in our life? What is the human, uh, the natural response when we go through a situation like this? Yeah. You start to withdraw. You start to separate yourself from everybody else. And you're, and things seem bleak and seem so hopeless. And then the enemy is the first one that comes in and says, see, you messed up. You waited too long. God can't heal her. God can't do this. God can't do that. You are at fault for this. And we start to back into the cave, just like Elijah did. Elijah, when Jezebel, when he knew Jezebel was coming after him, he went to a cave. He separated himself. His life looked bleak because Jezebel was like, I'm going to kill you. I'm coming after you now because you did, uh, you prayed and the fire fell and you killed all my prophets and now I'm coming for you. And Elijah went and hid. He went uh, in the wilderness and sat under a juniper tree. And then the angel of the Lord fed him three times and he got up and then went and hid in a cave. The Bible says he dwelt in the cave. He separated himself. He said, my life looks too hopeless for all of this. And then Jesus speaks to him and says, Elijah, you got to come out of the cave because I got kings that you need to anoint. I got words that you need to preach and I have a purpose for your life. I promised you these things and they're, even though they look dead, even though your life looks in shambles, I'm going to put it together and I will help you. So Jairus is at this point, what am I going to do? Thanks, Jesus, you were too late. You missed the opportunity. My daughter was laying sick and you stood and talked to this lady and you, you were on your way to my daughter. You were on your way to my house. You were going to make these dead bones live again. And now it's too late. That might be what it looks like to us sometimes. But Jairus never said that. Jesus overheard the conversation. And I'm going to start in uh, verse 35. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain, which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? So that's the servant we were talking about. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. Yes, your daughter's gone right now, but believe in me because I'm going to 
do a resurrection work now. So then Jesus goes to the, uh, to the man's house and I'm gonna pick up at verse 39. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, why ye, why ye make this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. God sees things differently than we do because God can see the beginning and he can see the end of whatever situation we're going through. So these people, what they were doing is they were mourning the death of Jairus' daughter. They were outside of the house and they were crying and they were weeping. And Jesus is like, why are you doing all this? She's not dead, she's only sleeping. Your situation's not dead, it's only sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn but he had put them all out. He taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with them and entereth in where the damsel was lying. So she was laying down and she was gone. Verse uh, 41, and he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, I'm not gonna try and pronounce it. Yeah, well, Talitha, Talitha Kumi, which is being interpreted Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was the age of 12 years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. Again, another moment where a father is standing in a valley of dry bones. He's standing in the middle of a situation that looks absolutely hopeless and dead. But then Jesus steps in. And when Jesus steps in, the miraculous happens. Second yeah. Corinthians 1 and 20 says this about God's promises. For all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. The promises, amen, amen means so be it. So when God makes a promise, he'll promise you something and say, so be it. It's finished. It's going to happen. It's set in stone. There's nothing changing this promise. It will happen. And then Isaiah 55 verse 11 says it like this. I actually, I'm going to start at verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And this is what, uh, God tells Isaiah in verse 11, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. When God speaks, it happens. God speaks into existence. So when you're going through 
hard times and you find yourself standing in the valley of dry bones and your life looks absolutely hopeless and the people that you're praying for look absolutely hopeless and dead and there's nothing around you that's living in the valley. You can call it Death Valley if you want to, but God calls it Restoration Valley because that's where God's going to cause the dry bones to live again. He's going to cause the promises that look dead to be resurrected. He's going to cause the hopes of his people to continue to live and to be resurrected once again. So I want to encourage you, anybody who's got dead hopes in the house, anybody who's where the promise looks like it's not going to happen, anybody where things in your life just look dead and hopeless, I want to encourage you right now that God, that, that death has never stopped God before. And even though things look bleak and look like they're not going to happen the way that we think they're going to happen, I want to tell you that God's in the resurrection business, God's in the restoration business, and that's what he wants to do today. Prophesy to the dead bones. Prophesy and tell them that they will be resurrected. Prophesy and tell them that there will be breath that enters their body again. Because it's going to happen. David Bernard says this uh, about Isaiah 55 and 11. Sometimes God's word or promises seem frozen in time. But they will eventually come to pass. You just have to have hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. I want to encourage you to keep believing. Keep the faith. Keep the hope. Jesus told, uh, Jesus told the Father in Mark 5.36, Be not afraid, only believe. Don't be scared when you're walking through the valley of dry bones. Don't be scared when you're ankle deep in dead promises and dead hopes. Only believe because God's word will come to pass. If God has spoken to you and it hasn't happened yet, only believe. God works on a different, a perfect timetable than us. God's just looking for somebody to prophesy to the dry bones today. Are you willing? Are you willing to prophesy when God prompts you? Say, look at these, look these bones straight up and tell them you will live again. There are 5,467 promises in the Bible. 5,467 promises that God has made just in this book alone to each and every one of us. Somewhere, uh, one portion of scripture says that um, if everything that God did was recorded in the Bible, there would not be enough books on the earth to capture everything that God has done and everything that he's promised. So there's just 5,467 promises in this book, but what else has God promised to you? So out of the 5,467 promises, how many did God keep? Every single one of them. 
I don't know any person on the face of the earth that can make that many promises and keep every single one of them. But the God that we serve does, and he can. So whatever he's promised to you, it will happen. Whether it's healing, whether it's uh, a financial miracle, whether it's a restoration of a lost loved one, it's going to happen. My uh, speech teacher in high school told me uh, that when you're done speaking, stop. Don't ramble. (laughs) So I'm going to bring it to a close. If we could all stand. (laughs) I just want to close with simply this. Is that even when your life, spiritually and or physically, looks like a valley of dead, dry bones. God is still ready and able to make those bones live again. I don't know what you're going through. I, I know preachers say that all the time, and the honest truth is they don't. <laughs> so I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know if you're in the middle of the valley of dry bones. I, I don't know if you're approaching that part in your life. I don't know if everything in your valley is living. But I'm looking, I'm reaching for the hearts of the people that feel like they're in the middle of the biggest struggle of their life, that feel like they're in the middle of Death Valley and they don't know where to go. Can I tell you the place to go is to the feet of Jesus? When you find yourself in those situations, that is the only place where we belong, is at the feet of Jesus, where we can hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord where we can hope in God and put our faith in something eternal and something that is founded. Where we can have faith that these bones will live again. So anybody who's in that situation of their life right now, if you don't hear anything I've said, hear this. Prophesy to the bones because they will live again. Could we all close our eyes and bow our heads? I just want to, I just want to pray to end this and then I'm gonna have pastor come and close it out. So I just wanna pray. Jesus, I thank you for the breath that you've given us. I thank you for the promises that you've given us. I thank you for the hope that we can have in you, Jesus. And I pray for those that feel like they're in the middle of the valley of dry bones and they're walking ankle deep in what seems to be dead promises and dead hopes. Because God, I know that you are in the business of restoration and you're in the business of resurrection. Even though things look so hopeless to us, God, you see the beginning and the end and you tell us, be not afraid, only believe. So God, we put our trust in you today. Whatever we're dealing with, we surrender it to you right now, Jesus, because you're the only one who can make dead bones live again. 
And if you believe that, could we lift our hands all around this place and thank God in advance for the promises that are going to come to pass and thank God in advance for restoring our hopes and restoring our dreams because God is in the restoration business and He is interested in everything that He has promised to you coming to pass. Just seek the face of God in the moment of trouble. Run to the rock and let him take care of everything. In Jesus' name.